Hello, welcome to Myelopathy Matters, the official podcast of the charity myelopathy.org, where we talk all things degenerative cervical myelopathy from the perspective of the professionals, researchers, and the people living with myelopathy. I'm Ben Davies, neurosurgeon scientist and a founder of myelopathy.org. I'm Ewan Sadler, a person with DCM and also a founder of myelopathy.org. This is Myelopathy Matters. So today we have an exclusive, the first site of the core information set for degenerative cervical myelopathy. This is a part of myelopathy.org's initiative, Shared DCM. Broadly a series of projects funded by the Evelyn Trust with the aim of helping people with DCM take a more active role in the decisions around their care. I know this is a project that's resonated with you, Ewan. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so, so important. And like you said, knowledge is power. I really can't wait to find out, you know, the final information set. Well, let's hear from Irina Sinjozan, a postgraduate scientist and a volunteer researcher with Mylospi.org, the lady who's been leading this project. Well, Irina, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. We're really eager to hear uh, the findings of your project so far. I guess I wanted to start by, you know, asking how does it feel to have sort of gotten to the end of this quite mammoth task that we set you? It feels great. So it's been quite a a lengthy task, as you mentioned. Um, And it's just really, really cool to see it come together. Finally, it's been a lot of work. Um, We've been working on this for the past couple of years. Uh, we've had a lot of patients and clinicians involved, um, and I, I just think it's cool to finally see it come to to fruition. Yeah, as do I. As do I. You've done a tremendous job, as um, we'll hear. But perhaps to give a bit more context and background to to the project, perhaps you could just describe to us, you know, the problem that you were trying to solve with this core information set. Sure. Well, I think in a nutshell, the work that we've been doing over the past couple of years or so has been all geared towards improving the health education of people with DCM because we found that this is currently being done in somewhat of an inconsistent, fragmented manner um, and that there is room for improvement in that regard um, and also that there is a demand for it and a likely chance that it could be, um, it, it could have a very positive role in driving health outcomes in DCM. So the whole premise of this work was that beyond treatment, health education is a key avenue for enhancing health outcomes in chronic illness um, where care is complex. So to illustrate this a little bit, chronic illness has no medical resolution. By definition, it's continuous, it's unresolved, and likely lifelong. So this means that often initial choices that people make aren't set in stone. Rather, people have to revisit and reconsider health decisions that they might have made even five or ten years ago. And often there is more than one treatment or management options available to choose from. And the the best choice, the best solution is the one that is personalized and aligned with the person's unique circumstances. So it's a complex process for which patient involvement is really key. Um, And by contrast, you know, if you think of an acute health issue, that's usually short-lived and usually has a singular approach. So it's a much easier process. And there is now a body of evidence that's been growing over the past three, four decades that really links 
health education, I think very positively to a range of biomedical and psychosocial outcomes in chronic illness. For example, we have some evidence now that when patients are educated about the condition, we see improved physiological outcomes. This can be in the form of better treatment adherence, um, better recovery rate from surgery or whatever other medical intervention the person was getting, less severe symptoms. There's also evidence for reduced resource utilization in healthcare. So people who are educated well, um, we, may, we may see reductions in hospital admission rates with that, fewer emergency room visits, um, just a general decreased reliance on primary care as well. Um, and also, it's been related to improvements in quality of life outcomes, mental health outcomes, and improved patient-clinician communication. And these benefits, um, I think importantly, they appear to manifest across the board to some extent or other, regardless of the clinical scenario. And so these types of health education interventions and materials have been deployed for many well-known chronic illnesses like diabetes, asthma, um, cancer, arthritis, to name a few. Um, and they've already been shown to yield excellent benefits. Yet I think in our case, when we looked at it, there was nothing of this nature created for DCM specifically, at least to the best of our knowledge. So there appeared to be a gap and an opportunity to explore this further. Let me just jump in there, Irina, briefly. So the, the premise is very much that you know, if we can improve the education of, of people with a chronic condition like DCM, then they'll be in a much better position to personalize their care, be involved in those decision makings. And clearly the evidence is that that has quite far-ranging impacts, not just for the benefits of the patient, but the whole healthcare system. Indeed, yeah, it seems to have, um, so, so I think the main idea here is that it has tangible economical benefits um, to it. And I think in particular in the context of DCM being a lifelong chronic condition, um, I think it shares many of the challenges that other chronic illnesses have. So, for example, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Um, so I've, I've barely sort of scratched the surface of, of this knowledge, but we know that the pathology and clinical manifestation um, of the disease vary from person to person. This means that treatment is nuanced and it has to be tailored to the patient. It has to take into account individual risk factors, the patient's circumstances, their preferences, their disease progression, severity. Um, I believe this is also the case for self-management and post-operative care, which are influenced by things like severity, weight, age, compression location, and also from a quality of life aspect. Um, DCM seems to impact people differently in terms of financial strain and mental health strain. So again, they require personalized support um, and equally, people with DCM also have to revise initial health management decisions. So, for example, someone following non-operative treatment may find that their symptoms progress over time and that they need to undertake surgery. So, again, th these health decisions are not set in stone, and it's a complex process, and health decisions need to be personalized, and patients have to be involved in their care to do this optimally. So how does the core information set fit into that? Process. You know, what is it and, and why do you think that can help? Well, I think, first of all, the core information set is effectively a checklist of key information about a given topic, in our case, DCM. And each major point that is listed in this checklist comes with a set of baseline data. 
which clinicians can then tailor to align with the person's circumstances. So effectively, it kind of just sets the agenda for the diagnostic conversation. And the main objective of this tool, the core information set, is to ensure that people who are newly diagnosed with DCM get critical information about DCM from the onset. Because some of the previous research that we did to actually reach the point where we can create a core information set showed us that health education in DCM is currently quite inconsistent and fragmented. So we interviewed people with DCM um, and we found that the information that is being provided to them in clinical interaction varies substantially in terms of both quantity and quality. Um, and as a result, patients reported having many information gaps um, across various points in their care. And we found that there was confusion about what the condition is exactly, how it's treated, its prognosis, how to adjust to life if you have disability as a result of having DCM. Um, and also this variability then seemed to impact people's ability to make informed decisions about their health or engage in self-management. So the core information set is meant to, to address this issue of, of inconsistent patient education. So let's be clear then, just sorry, so it's, it's not an information leaflet as such, but it's almost like an agenda that can be help structure the conversation between a patient having a diagnosis and their professional to make sure the key points are covered that will allow the patient to really actively engage in, in the decision-making. Absolutely, yes. And I think this is one of the characteristics that makes it particularly relevant to DCM um, and useful. So first of all, it is a checklist, so it is prescriptive. It details exactly what topics should be discussed during the consultation and in one order. And so I think because of this, it has the potential to address the inconsistencies that we identified in how information is conveyed to patients currently. So if there is substantial variation in this regard, as our interview suggests, then the core information set can sort of help standardize the discussion and ensure that everyone gets briefed on the same topics. And I think that's really interesting because as a professional, I'm, I'm thinking about this and you know, you don't want to over-standardize this process. You know, the problem with information leaflets is the information is very generic. So what you're really giving here is some prompts that, you know, the conversation can take those key areas and sort of tailor the circumstances to that individual patient. Absolutely. So that's, um, I think that's one of its other core characteristics, which is that the core information set is adaptable. So yes, it standardizes information in a sense, but then clinicians can personalize it. They can personalize the content to meet the specific needs of each person. And this is important because, as mentioned before, DCM requires a tailored approach. And you know, logically following on from that, the more a person understands their individual circumstances, the better the quality of their choices that they can make afterwards. Um, but also because I think people vary quite widely in their desire for information in terms of quantity. They vary widely in their health literacy, their ability to process and retain medical information. So I think the core information set being adaptable really strikes a balance because it allows clinician to, for example, to go into more information if that is required by the patient. Um, it allows them to tailor the manner in which it delivered so that it accounts for the person's health literacy, their cognitive abilities, and how familiar generally they are with medical terminology. Fascinating. And um, this something that's been used elsewhere in healthcare? I mean, you mentioned that that need across a lot of chronic conditions. Those sort of core information sets a standard part of the armory for healthcare professionals? So no, actually they're not. And, and I guess our approach in that sense departs from, 
from what you would typically think about when considering a patient education tool. So core information sets were originally developed for collecting informed consent prior to surgery. They were used as a consultation guide for patients who were being offered new surgical procedures for colorectal cancer. And although we, we are using it in a similar manner, in a sense, as a topic guide, we've actually reconceptualized it as a health education tool. And at least to my knowledge, this is the first use of a core information set in this manner. That, that's that's really interesting to hear. Ewan, I wonder what your perspectives are listening, listening to that and you know, particularly the description there of the, the challenges faced by somebody with a chronic condition. Is that something that resonates with your experiences and those of the community? Yes, I think, um, you know, having DCM brings a lot of questions to mind. Like Irina said, you know, you're going to have a consultation with a doctor, that's going to be 10 minutes. And then you have a consultation with the surgeon, you know, that's a really short sort of time slot only so many questions you can ask. And I think if a person can leave an appointment and have a lot of those sort of questions answered, that could be a massive benefit for someone with DCM. I mean, looking back at your ex- personal experiences, no, did because I guess what, what's happening here is that there is some simple tool here that's trying to help steer the conversation to, to what is absolutely needed, be it by the patient or, or the professional. And guess perhaps trying to avoid information overload um trying to make sure that the right material is covered is that something that you thinking back would have found helpful yes definitely because i didn't have any information whatsoever so you know if you've got um if you've got cancer you've got a leaflet you've got support you've got nothing when you've got dcm you're going in there and you know if you haven't got the questions ready to ask the surgeon a lot of the questions you're going to forget in the appointment, you're going to come out of there, you're going to still be scratching your head. And the important information, I think, is the do's and the don'ts, that you shouldn't be sort of lifting anything heavy. None of this information is actually given to you. So you're coming out of an appointment and you could easily go and do something that will make the you know the situation a lot worse. That, that makes perfect sense. And I guess, you know, I... I'm you know, thinking about myself, you know, this this is a conversation I have quite frequently and yet, you know, I'm not a robot. I forget things and there's people leave the room and I've forgotten to tell them things. And, you know, the consultation can also be very long and, and, and there's probably elements of efficiency to, to making sure that we are really keeping it to, to what we think is really, really critical. Yeah, I think very exciting potential, Rita. So perhaps we should come back to you and hear a little bit more about, you know, how it was produced and then we can get on to you know, exactly what it is. Mm, absolutely. So. First of all, to, to decide what information should be prioritized in the core information set, we needed to, to first identify the whole spectrum of information about DCM that could be given to a newly diagnosed patient. We had done a scoping literature review prior to this where we actually identified, and this was part of our core premise, we actually identified that most of the online educational resource materials are geared towards healthcare professionals. So mostly it's scientific publications with some health websites and videos. And I believe the number was about 86% of those were geared towards professionals. There were um, very heavy with medical terminology and only about 11% of those were actually written for a lay audience, although their quality is unchecked. 
So we referred back to this scoping literature review and we extracted information from these scientific publications, health websites and videos. Um, we also referred back to our patient interviews and extracted potential information that could be given to people from these interviews. And we also surveyed clinicians with spinal care expertise from the charity's RICO DCM network. So we asked them what their view is on the topic. And we ended up with a long list of about 95 items, which we then reviewed, checked for redundancy, and subsequently reduced to 31 items, which were split across eight categories. And this list covered pretty much everything from pathophysiology, symptomatology, management, and prognosis. And we then put this list forward for an online consensus process. So this is where we essentially ask patients with DCM and clinicians who manage DCM which of these items they thought should be prioritized at diagnosis and why. We did this over two online surveys and two virtual consensus meetings. And we eventually settled on a list of seven items that were deemed high priority by both clinicians and patients for the point of diagnosis. And also one of the key aims with building the core information set was we wanted to make sure that it's truly globally representative so that it can be implemented and useful to a large proportion of DCM stakeholders worldwide, not just the UK. So we had representation from 15 countries, I believe, uh, from across North America, Canada, Australia, Europe and the UK, and also Africa, Asia and Latin America in roughly equal ratios. And we also wanted to make sure that we have good representation from both clinicians and patients throughout this process. So we had roughly equal representation from these stakeholder groups. Brilliant. And what was the engagement? I guess it's quite a new concept. So I'd imagine the people you're talking to, you know, would have been, it would have been a completely new idea to them. Did you find that this was something that they bought into, they really felt was something worth producing? Well, I think those who... Uh, those who responded to our invitation to participate in the consensus process were very much invested. Um, and I was actually, you never, I think you never quite know what you're going to get um, in a study in terms of participant involvement. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised to see how engaged people are, particularly because with this consensus process, the, the kind of surveys that we had to put together were very lengthy. Um, so, for example, the estimated time for completing each of the rounds was around 90 minutes. You really had to sit down, take the time, you know, invest the time into it. Um, and people also had to review feedback between rounds. So it's quite a, an involved process. And um, I was just really pleased to see just how involved people were. I mean, that's, it's always been my experience, I think, of projects where you, you bring those professionals and patients together because you have that opportunity to really see the benefits and the different experiences and how it can influence i think it is is often quite a quite a powerful powerful moment well let's um get down to it then so perhaps you could introduce what is the core information set what is in it okay yeah so we we settled on seven high priority information items to be communicated verbally uh, with one additional item to be provided in writing um, so to just give a brief overview of what it currently looks like, the, the first information piece is around terminology and disease mechanisms. So I think it was quite obvious during the consensus process that patients and clinicians agreed strongly that this is a um, sort of a fundamental understanding that needs to happen around the disease terminology. Um, and 
Most people might be familiar with the term degenerative, for example, but terms like cervical or myelopathy um, might be new to them and they need to have an understanding of, of what the name means. And these terms also describe the disease mechanisms. They effectively tell people what the problem is. Um, so by defining the terminology of the disease and the mechanisms, then patients can sort of better comprehend what is happening in their body. And they can also use this terminology later on in future clinical consultations. Beyond that, we also agreed on including a section on history, physical examination, and symptoms, because the consensus was that, first of all, people have a, I suppose, a legal and ethical right to be informed about how their diagnosis was made. But beyond that, this information offers an added perspective. It helps people to sort of complete the puzzle of understanding the disease and also recognizing the symptoms and understanding the relevance of their own personal medical history is then also likely to help them engage in self-management more optimally to stay safe between consultations and also to know when to seek help. We included a component on imaging findings, MRI findings specifically, um, as this was part of the diagnostic process. So the consensus here was that imaging is a key diagnostic tool in DCM with MRI being the preferred modality for confirming DCM, but it's not able to make a diagnosis alone. So I suppose both patients and clinicians deemed it crucial for inclusion with the caveat that it needed to be included separately. So that is sort of um, serves to highlight to patients and clinicians who might be less familiar with DCM that MRI is not enough to make a diagnosis on its own. We then have an item on management strategies and individual considerations in clinical decision-making. Um, also severity and severity assessment results. And also, I suppose as you would expect with any chronic illness, Patients were also very interested in understanding the clinical course of the illness. So there was very high agreement among patients and clinicians alike that it's important to be informed about the expected progression of the condition. And also that this information would allow people to anticipate future challenges or milestones, effectively giving them a roadmap for the journey ahead. And then finally, everyone agreed that some information regarding safety netting, lifestyle changes, impact on quality of life should be conveyed at diagnosis. The consensus here was that beyond medical treatment, adjustments in lifestyle and safety measures can improve outcomes. Um, at the very least, I suppose they may help to slow down disease progression. So everyone sort of viewed this as essential that patients are aware of these modifications so that they can integrate them into their daily lives and have a broader understanding of how DCM will impact their well-being. And then finally, we, we agreed to provide some written information, some additional sources of information for those who want to deepen their understanding of DCM um, as a leaflet or as a link, so as a written resource. Um, and the rationale for this was that, I suppose, first of all, clinicians are quite pressed for time. Most people have 10, 20 minutes for patient education in clinical practice. So it's impossible to convey everything to a person at diagnosis. It's quite unlikely that people would want that amount of information um, in the clinical consultation. So we wanted to give people some, some more resources that they can consult offline. 
sounds very comprehensive. And I get a sense, perhaps you can confirm this, that the sequence of that set was was put forward for a particular reason. That sort of felt like the way in which that information should 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 come out. Yes, I think in um, during our consensus meeting, in addition to agreeing on the items, we we wanted to agree on what the workflow would be. So, you know, what information do you start with, and how how that progresses in a logical manner. So, I know this is part of a wider project shared shared DCM. So, so I guess sort of final questions really are, you know, what, what next for core information sets? How does this fit into the wider initiatives at mileoptic.org? Um, so we've been hard at work on the core information set. Um, our immediate goal now is to introduce it in clinics to essentially test drive it. We want to gather feedback to understand how how feasible its implementation is, how effective it's likely to be in, in a real-world healthcare scenario. Um, and so we're actually in the process of setting up a service implementation study, uh, which aims to assess how the core information set influences people's comprehension of DCM. Um, and as I mentioned before, just to gauge how feasible and acceptable this approach is to both clinicians and patients. Beyond that, we're hoping to secure some additional findings so that we can further refine the core information set based on the results of this preliminary study and so that we can create the written resource that I just mentioned. But the core information set is just a starting point and Beyond the point of diagnosis, we'd like to be able to develop some tools that support patients at different points in their care. So we're now engaged in a process mapping exercise where we're trying to we're trying to identify the time points at which people with DCM need to make decisions, what the nature of these decisions is that is under consideration, how important these are, um, and what information or decisional support they require for them. Brilliant. I mean, I think it's a brilliant project. I've obviously been uh, close to it as well. Um, and I think, you know, my experience of working with charities very much that this is a problem needs to be solved. And, and the more we can, can empower uh, the people with the condition to be actively involved in their care, the better their outcomes uh, will be. But it's certainly a slow burn. And, you know, I guess the, the final thing to say, Erin, is we're very, very sad that you are uh, coming to an end of your time with uh, with the charity. You've been um, incredibly productive for us and this has been a huge project that you brought together i mean just hearing the number of different stakeholders the global representation that you brought together it's um it's truly truly amazing and um i guess just a final big thanks from from myself and you in and, and the wider community for, for giving us all of that time really well it's been an absolute pleasure and a great experience for me and i'm just really happy to see it come together and um I look forward to see where, where you take it in the future. I think this could be a really useful tool for people facing a diagnosis of DCM because there's nothing in place at the moment. I remember my own experience and it, it involved a lot of Googling after every appointment. It was certainly a down the river without a paddle moment. If we can reduce the guesswork and people can have the correct information that can really benefit a person that's been diagnosed with DCM. So Ben, how do you think we can put this into a, a clinical practice? Well, I think um, that's a big and important question, uh, I think, for any kind of, of DCM research, really. And, and as you've heard, the core information set story isn't 
fully over. You know, Irina and the team have nicely defined what to discuss, but exactly how that is implemented will need some trial, error, possible refinement to finesse uh, its delivery. I think one of the exciting things about what MyLotty.org has been able to achieve, and you, and you heard it in that project, is that real global representation. And I think you know, the opportunity to bring people together to advertise these quite simple tools to professionals around the world is is increasing as the footprint of the charity increases. And I'm hopeful that that will, will bring things in. But, you know, I spend a lot of time researching how we can change professional behavior in medicine. We call it implementation science. And the bottom line is it's it's very difficult. You know, it's a problem throughout medicine, even in the conditions that people have actually heard of. You know, healthcare professionals are very busy uh, and medicine's evolving so fast. So what are my current ideas, which I think is very unique to a chronic disease like myelopathy, and sort of builds on some of those concepts that, that Irina was, was bringing up in the interview, is perhaps the best way to change professional behavior might actually be to arm the patient with the right tools. So in this instance, if we can think about that first consultation with a surgeon, for most people, this is when you've been given a sort of potential diagnosis, often agree with a little bit of poor information, but you then often see the surgeon who at the moment is considered the, the DCN expert. And so if we can get the patients going into that clinic room with this core information set, I think that could really ensure that discussion follows a really effective agenda for them. Uh, and make sure they get the information that they they need. Do you think that's something that's viable, you, and really getting the the patients to bring it into the room? Yes, definitely. Because our top tip in the support group is to write down your questions that you want answered. You know, a lot of people in in the support group they're going into the consultations and they're forgetting everything that they want to ask. So, if you could empower the patients, you know, the people with DCM, that would be a great thing. You know, but more widely, you mentioned the increase in footprint of the charity, and I don't think people realise how much research we are involved in. And if anybody wants to know what research Malopathy.org are involved in, it is now available on our new website. And of course, you can also you know, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, where we do try to showcase uh, lots of the highlights. Well, thank you very much to Irina for joining us. This was Myelopathy Matters from myelopathy.org, a podcast produced as always by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. You can keep up to date with the latest in the field, as we've mentioned, by subscribing to our podcast or indeed looking at the brand new website, myelopathy.org. But if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch at ben at myelopathy.org. Till next time, goodbye.